one button that I'm... I'm very relaxed, as you can tell, I'm stretching. Right, so I just saw a photo of you uh, on social media wearing some silver breastplates, standing in front of a really nice – no, it wasn't. It was on your profile for, for Head Up. What's the go? Havari, what is it, Household Cavalry with uh, were you Household Cavalry with Simon? Yeah, Household Cavalry. Um, Household Cavalry Regiment, the Blues and Royals. So there's two different regiments inside the Household Cavalry. Um, so, yeah, me, me and Simon were Blues and Royals. But that uniform I was wearing there is like the ceremonial side to it. So me, Simon, I don't think he done ceremonial. I done it for a couple of years towards the end of my career, and uh, we're renowned for like uh, the cavalry. So on the horses of all the all the gear, um, all the all the armor that you see with the queen, like so that, doing is that like that when you see him on parade with the queen funerals and coronations and queen's personal bodyguard. Can't Ooh. put that on your Tinder profile many times. What happens? What happens? Yeah. You, you you're you're on parade, uh, you know, in your show. You haven't actually got live rounds. Uh, well, I don't know. Um, and then somebody runs out of the crowd to attack the queen. Legally, what are you allowed to do? Well, we don't have rounds, but it's a foot guards because we're on the horses and we have a sword. Um, the foot guards have the guns. And they, they do have uh, rules of engagement. So I'm guessing someone or maybe some part of them do have rounds. I'm not too sure. But there will be close bodyguards as well who you know, will be armed. Uh, so I, I don't know the answer to that. But for, personally, if I was on a horse and I had a sword and some crazy guy came running towards the queen with uh, a gun, it would be my my chance and my, my honour to protect her with my sword. Oh, so for these I'd be more than happy with that. <laughs> <laughs> my 15, 15 minutes of fame right there. Absolutely. Surely, surely those blokes at Buckingham Pass have got, got rounds on. Surely. Yeah, they'll be all, yeah, be they all have got rounds. On they have got rounds. It's a bit they useless if not, And they're also very good at looking at the police thinking, are you going to shoot this guy? Yeah. <laughs> That's the real train, isn't it? Because uh, the cops in England, do they, they don't have, oh, they've just got gats lately in the last couple of years. They've got firearms. Yeah, all over London. They're pretty armed up. Yeah, we, we always we, we we've always had armed armed police, but uh, your normal Bobby on the street, he's he's got nothing but a truncheon and a and pepper spray. I think it's far safer. Like I I I don't know if this is the direction of the entire conversation talking about British police, but we had a conversation about this the other day, and and without going deep into gender roles, there was um, three young girls, probably mid to early twenties, got out of a cop car. No males, right? In the middle of Sydney. And they were all armed and they were just going to hang out at a sporting event. And and we everyone around us that was military was like, A, if something goes on, there's little to no chance that those three as a unit can can do a lot to stop it. But B, why the fuck do they need weapons? Like if they're at a sporting event, I get I, I think the British model's perfect. You have a unit of heavily armed people somewhere, but the general B cops the weapon on the side of those girls' hip created a problem, if you ask me. It wasn't It wasn't ever going to solve one, but it's highly potentially going to, to create one. Yeah, yeah, I, I believe. I believe the good that. thing of having the, the frontline guys being, being... Go on, Paul. No, go on. Yeah, the good thing about frontline guys not having weapons is you then escalate, don't you? It's the same in Afghan. You have an escalation of force. So you know when the car comes up and two big meatheads get out with automatic rifles that you're probably going to wind your neck in, and if not, you're going to get tasered. Um, it's fair game then, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, right, so noting that um, all the shit that really goes on, like the Americans in the US, really took the brunt of the fighting in, in Iraq and Afghan uh, for what the war on terror. Um, now, stop me if I'm wrong. You, I, I don't think the support was there on the back end of it. I think Australia, I think we've done pretty well. We, we're sort of, you know, this wrapped in cotton wool when we come back and we've got a lot of money and a lot of financial systems. Uh, the British system seems like it's lacking in some areas and is this where Head Up come from? Yeah, definitely. And... I was just speaking to a journalist yesterday about this exact exact point, um, and I just give you a quick example for myself. In, in 
2006, we were the first unit to be deployed into Helmand province, which is our area um, of Afghanistan. Um, and, I, you know, I was very keen. I was very eager. I loved the job. It was nonstop fighting the whole time. It was all you know, fresh Taliban, people coming in from Chechnya, coming in from all, Pakistan, all sorts of areas coming to fight the jihadi war. Uh, you know, and we were there to to welcome them with open arms. And, you know, I, I got blown up with rocket propelled grenades. I, I'd seen my friends burning, uh, uh, you know, and all, all sorts of stuff. It was a horrendous time. But at that, at that moment in time, I didn't think much of it. I just thought, you know, I'm 20 years old. This is war. This is what happens. We became very accustomed to what was happening out there. Um, but then we kind of, we, we went back to, we had two days, at, at the back end of that, we had two days in Cyprus as decompression. And we got told, you know, bearing in mind it was us, um, a bunch of paratroopers, and a bunch of other people. We got told, right, you know, if you're going to get your, get get out of your system, have a fight here if you want to have a fight, um, but don't go too crazy. And then when you get on the plane, you're back to normality. And we were like, okay, two drinks in, and everyone was biting each other's noses off and breaking arms. And I'm not even joking; that's literally what happened. And then we went back to went back home the next day, and uh, we were in a nightclub, and it was just like, what's going on? There was no like talking to you, you know, you know, you've seen some, you've been through some serious trauma, you know, whether you recognize it now or not in years to come when, when a, a big um, emotional thing in your life happens, it might bring back all these feelings and emotions or a smell or, or a sound or something like that. Uh, we never had anything like that. Uh, and then that's why we're having all sorts of problems at the moment. And it certainly is, uh, I reckon, one of the big causes as to why head up is now happening to, because of all the people who are suffering and going through troubles. So give us a, a, a bit of a nutshell on what the British system's like. Like Mex touched on it pretty briefly. Australia has the gold standard in both veteran care and also veteran whinging ability. So Australia, if you join the military, you do a, a day, DVA is going to look after you, the, the Department of Veterans Affairs. Um, and that you, you don't find that anywhere else in the world. Britain, Britain's nowhere near as good. The US is nowhere near as good. Canada, maybe. What, what's the experience like? What, what, what does the British government do for veterans? Oh, oh, sorry, I've got to direct these questions, don't I? Because otherwise no one knows what yeah. I'm talking about. We've got, we've got Mo, Mo in China, which we will, we'll touch on in a minute. Um, Paul's in the UK. So, Paul, <laughs> if, if you want to touch on that, you, you were the founder of Head Up. If, if you want to go into that in, in, in any detail, like what, what does the British system do for veterans? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's quite a difficult one because obviously each person, each veteran is an individual. So we all have our own personal experiences. But mine and from the people that I've spoken to is that it's very substandard. It's very generic, you know. So um, as, as a veteran, as leaving, I'll give you an example. I can, I can use myself as, a, as the perfect example is uh I was diagnosed with severe PTSD and all sorts of, you know, suicidal thoughts and all sorts of problems at, at that moment in time. Um, so they, they come up with a decision with myself that it's probably best to medically discharge me. And I was like, okay, well, this isn't what I wanted. I've just had like, 18 years in the army, five frontline tours, all my family are here. I've only been, I've been here since I was 16 years old. So it's not really what I wanted, but it's probably for the better. So um, during the second lockdown, my discharge date was coming up. And then I said, oh, um, we're in a lockdown, you know, there's no job, there's nowhere to live. Um, can you not discharge me? And they were like, well, no, we're going to, we've got to discharge you. We've got a date for you. I was like, okay, great. They've so got discharged. And since that day, I haven't heard a word from them. So, you know, when it comes to the government and the military, that's it. You, you're kind of like, you are pretty much wiped. Um, the, only, the only caveat to that is the boys, you know, your mates, the, the people, the boys that have been with you side by side for the last 18 years, they're phoning you up people like Sire, making sure that everything's okay. And I'm okay now. I'm, I'm all right. I've learned techniques and methods to deal with myself and to handle myself. But there's a lot of people in similar situations that are not able to, and all of a sudden they've, they've lost, they've left the army or the military. They're no longer around all their friends. They're no longer around their support network. Um, the military have completely left them. It's like getting a divorce um, from someone you don't want to be divorced from. And then, you know, your whole family have just left you pretty much. So it's, it's a difficult one. And then I know that people have then had to go to the NHS, so our health system, to get help. And they're on a two-year waiting list for, um, mm. P, for to get some PTSD. Um, uh, and when, when they do see someone, it's just a nurse uh, who has no military experience. So the system is very flawed and it's, it's almost setting people up for failure. And it's, it's, it's very hard to see. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't want to go into too much detail about the Australian system, but it, it seems like Britain and the um, and the US are a, a, a bit of a way behind for for countries that have got a far higher population of veterans in Australia. Australia's got to the point. Maybe it's from the whinging, so maybe the whinging's a good thing. But Australia's got to the point where DVA is like, "Hey, this is a big political football. We need to make some progress here, or it's going to cost our politicians elections." And therefore, they've started to throw way more money at it. But I mean, I, I'm only bringing this up because I, I I did a bit of research into how much or I tried to do research into how much the British Veterans Affairs system spends, and I couldn't find any data at all. Like I think this, there was one report about five million. I'm like, five million's a, a drop in the bucket. Do you, do you actually have a political a, a politician that looks after veterans as their portfolio? We had one. His name is Johnny Mercer. So he used to be an officer, high-ranking officer in, in the army. Um, fantastic guy. Very, you know, very well liked by the whole of the military and people in, in civilian street. And he tried so hard to like get get the rights, get statistics, get everything that get veterans uh, the rights that they should have. Um, and in the end, he was just hitting a brick wall. So he was, I, I believe, I could, I could be wrong, but I believe he resigned fairly recently because no one was listening to him and he refused to be part of the party that just wasn't listening to him anymore. Um, so it, it's very difficult to get any sort of statistics, to get any sort of uh, true understanding as to what's actually happening and what, you know, what the, the, the British are being given, especially veterans being given by the government. But is, is there, and again, I don't want to, if, if you don't have the answers to political questions, then don't worry about it. But is there, a in the budget that comes out every year, the, the parliament puts out a budget and there's like X amount of million, billion for defence, X amount of billion for roads, whatever it's going to be. Is there a budget allocation for veteran healthcare? Yeah, unfortunately, I really don't know that. But you just touched on the five million pound thing. That's all we see every now and then. You know, mm. there was a five million pound budget to help with veterans, five million pound budget to put towards associations, regimental associations to help with veterans. But like you say, what's five million pound? That's you know, when you spread that out between sixteen hundred charities and another seven hundred associ- regimental associations, you, you're left with a few thousand pound to have a, a meeting. And then by the end of mm. your meeting, you got about twenty pound left to help some guy out. So. It's, it's almost pointless. Yeah, see, to put that in contrast, and I don't, I don't want to make you guys hate me, but the Australian budget for veteran, the Department of Veterans Affairs is $13 billion. And when, when the only thing I could yeah. find in the UK was $5 million. I'm like, this can't be accurate. The money has always been pledged, um, normally around election times, when someone new comes in, um, someone, uh, uh, unfortunately, a veteran suicide meet, meets the papers and gets brought up in the House of Commons and they all argue like schoolboys. It gets pledged every time. I have not, I personally have not read anything of, of like, this is the budget that we have committed. He, every The word pledge, yeah, loads, but um, have we seen anything? No. Typical British government, they're all fart and no poo. <laughs> Because yeah, you guys have been, I mean, it's it's fucking England. You guys have been literally the birthplace of the Commonwealth, the Anglo-Saxons. The you guys have been fighting wars since wars started, since history started. Maybe it's a what? what I'm not quite sure. Maybe you got maybe your government's actually figured it out, and they're like, no, 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 their soldiers are expendable. Let's just keep them. We don't pay money. Like we just keep turning the peasants over. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, do you know what? I, I know it, it sounds crude and funny, but I actually think that there's some truth into that. You know, there's like, well, you know, they've always just they've always got on with it. They've always, you know, done what they needed to do. You know, it's like when we was in Afghanistan to start with, um, we were getting ten minutes phone call uh, every two weeks. Prisoners were getting thirty minutes every week. <laughs> you know, and it was only I'm not, I'm not even joking. We we were walking around in in body armor that had a plate like that, and we were like. What's going on? You know, the, the the close protection guys have got the whole all, all the outfit. It's like, why have we got substandard stuff? And it is just simply a case of just give them what what you know, give them whatever we've got in the in the back shelf, and they'll get on with it. Um, and it's not until it hits a media or until someone really makes a song and dance about it that something changes. Uh, so, this, but head up, this is what we want to do. We, we need to get we need to get the funding for this retreat. We need to get the treat, retreat up and running. We need to show that this, what we the methods that we're going to use and the techniques that we use works. And then we need to make a big song and dance and say to the military and the government, this is what you need to be doing. But these are the statistics. These are what happening. Um, you need to change, change your ways and, and, and rethink your, your, your program. But we've got a little way to go yet. 
Mate, I, I mean, I, I absolutely agree with you. Obviously, the reason, um, well, Cobes linked us in with Mo, Mo linked us in with yourself, and it was all because we've all got the same values. We, we've all been in the military, and we're like, the kind of the model we're using at the moment is probably not working. We've got, we've, we've kind of ridden the roller coaster. We've learned some lessons the hard way. Let's let's pass them on. And your model that you, you're moving forward is, is is with a retreat. So, can how? I mean, I know you don't want to unleash all your IP, but what's what's the goal with the retreat? So we've um, we're, we're kind of a, got a three phase going on. Phase one was to get the charity up and running. So um, it's difficult over here to become a full non-profit organisation. So you got like a, a full non-profit organisation. You got like half ones. You got other smaller ones where people can invest into. We wanted to be a completely full non-profit organisation where people don't invest into. We simply get grants and funding from different areas. And we, we managed to do that. Uh, so that was that, that was the first task. But we we done that for four veterans with no sort of business or political or charitable um, uh, uh, lifestyles. Yeah. So phase two now we're just doing it. We're in a funding phase. Funding phase. So we're trying to recreate the three million pound we need. Uh, we've already created three hundred thousand pound in the last few months, which is fantastic. Uh, the run I'm going on the five thousand mile run will hopefully generate a lot more backing, a lot more funding from that. And then we'll take it from there through grants and, uh, and other fundraisers that we're going to do. And then by September 2023, we hope, we hope to have our um, head up retreat open uh, and running, which you know, the, the, the key thing to this is it's going to be non-militarized. So a lot of the people that are getting help at the moment are getting help in barracks and in garrisons and in, you know, by doctors wearing uniform or you know they have, to, they have to walk through a building where you know they're seeing all the military uh, emblems and everything and they straight away you know the way i say it is if you as a burns victim you wouldn't be treated next to an open fire you know if you was if you was hit by um, a car or a truck you wouldn't be treated by next to, next to a motorway so why in the military is it okay for people to be you know um, get cancer in, in uh, a military environment it's just it doesn't make any sense and the, the other big thing about our retreat is it's going to be self-loading. So rather than having to go to a doctor and open up and say, you know, I've got a problem or be assessed through a medical evaluation or got told that actually you're not quite um, severe enough to, to receive the help that we, we, we're offering. We're just saying, look, it doesn't matter how bad you are, how, you know, whether you just, whether you're just not feeling very well at the moment and you want to improve your mental health or you're absolutely fucked and you need to find another avenue to try and help yourself. Just load yourself onto a seven-day course. Come down. We'll pay for everything, and we'll teach you multiple different methods and and ways that you can improve your mental health day by day in your own life. Fuck, <laughs> that's golden, mate. I love it, mate. I love it, and it, it, it makes sense. It's, it's it's so simple, isn't it? And it should be done already, but no one's doing it. No one over here is doing it, and uh, we're going to be the first, and we're going to make sure it's done properly. Uh, and we're, we're already making great ground and lots of people are backing us and lots of people, I'm having meetings with charity CEOs and founders all the time and, and business like business people who want to back it. So we're on the right path. Because we went through so many iterations. We started off, we were like, we're sitting around and we sit around at a funeral and start swinging off some tins and then we're like, yeah, we need to get a, a farm where we can get all the boys together and then it was the next thing and we're like, we got to do something now, uh, you know, what are we going to do that we can hit the most number of people? And then the app sort of come around. But but the the that concept of a retreat, they do it well in America. They got one in America, and they where they, they it's sort of like pay it forward, where you get these guys, these heavy hitting gunfighters who have gone through it, and they sort of get guys come in, and they go, yeah, I've gone through it, lived experience, take other guys through it, and then they move on. I think it's a I think it's a concept. Oh, that's good. Yeah, just I mean, just to touch on that last part, I, I, there has to be something to this, right? Because every generation, even the, the Vietnam, the old boys were the same. They wanted to, they came back and they're like, I just need to get away from society. I want to get a block of land. I just want my mates there and that is it. And then our generation does the same thing. And there's all these organizations that you, you see, they're like, they've got the same idea. I'm like, there's no science behind that. Well, there probably is, but I haven't found any. But if everyone is thinking the same thing from all different parts of the world, it's got to be worth a crack. And, mate, I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm interested to see what you guys pull together. And I, I think, like pat on the back, I think you've done it the right way. Like Max said, most people sit there just thinking about it or talking to their mates about it, but they never actually make action. And you boys are like – and no one wants to take that first step until they're 100% ready that it's going to be perfect. And 
you boys have launched it and you're like, hey, we, we've got a roadmap. We don't have a retreat yet, but we've got the organization and we've got to start fundraising. And even in doing that, just by tracking the stuff that you're putting out on social media, that's helping some of the boys. Are you, are you feeling that from, from what you're, you're getting back on socials? Yeah, I mean, the people are always messaging. It's lovely. People will say, you know, so really inspired by what you're doing. It's so nice to, to, to know that um, there's more there's more coming in, in the future than what is already out here. And But on the flip side to that, we're constantly bombarded with people saying, I need help now, I need your help right now. And it's just so difficult to, you know, I can signpost them to as many people as I want, but they're just like, been there, been there, been there, doesn't work. Is that we need this retreat? I need. I need to come. Can you not? Can you? Can you not do like a one day for me? I'm like we're mm. not in that place right now, unfortunately. I can. I can so do it. I can do it in my backyard, or we can do it in my spare bedroom. But yeah, yeah, it's not the same, you know. And and I, I, we need we need another eighteen months, so it is difficult. And you know, I'm sure you don't mind us getting too deep, but you know, last year we we know of eleven people that committed suicide. Two guys from our regiment have committed suicide towards the end of last year and beginning of this year. Um, yeah, it's a difficult time and it's just so much more needs to be done. And it's it's frustrating. It's just you look at all these other organizations and charities and, and even in the military and you're like, they're all doing pretty much the same thing and they're all fighting against each other. So like all the charities over here are like, you know, trying to shut other charities down because they want all, all the money for their poor because they're, they're, they're losing money. And it's just so frustrating to see. And it's like, if you just all work together and put, you know, bang your heads together and, and worked a bit harder, you'd be saving and helping so many people. But unfortunately, it's a lot of the place over here are run, run like a business. And, you know, thankfully we're coming into this without any, without a business head on us. So I feel like we're, we're coming to it with, with the right concept and the right morals and standards. Absolutely, mate. I, I, I mean, not, not to get judgy, but there's, there's not a lot of for-profit organisations that will work with in this space because they can always be corrupted. I mean, charities can too. Like, let's be honest, all the big charities, they, they, you get corrupted at one stage or another. But when it comes to the veteran space, there's some part of it's like, in order to help my mates, if it's your people, it needs to be charitable. It can't, if, if your goal is to make a bunch of money, you're not going to be looking out for your mates. And, and that's unfortunately how it is. But, mate, question for you, Mo, just to throw it over you. What's your role now? I know you came on with, with Head Up as, a, as an ambassador. Now they've sent you to China undercover, obviously, wearing a Swiss shirt so you don't get um, – so, so, you, so you're a bit neutral. What, what's your role now with, with Head Up? Well, it's you boys getting the phone call if this goes tits up. <laughs> so uh, um, when's this getting released? Is this getting released after the 1st of March? Because – no. You know, I'm in China till then, and my answer, my answers from now will be very different if it's going to get released while I'm still here. Well, let's make it let's spice it up. We'll hold it for a bit if you want to get if you want to get real. <laughs> um, obviously, Paul and I were in lockdown together. We, we spoke about that when when I was on your podcast last, uh, amongst many other things. Uh, when 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 it actually came to fruition exactly like the game plan like you said the roadmap like right we need to start an organization but you know we went round in circles a little bit like but to start an organization you need to do this but to do this you need to have an organization uh and it sort of went round like that but i'm on board with paul as a as a, as a trustee uh with two other guys um essentially where four friends that really trust each other have the same guidance and morals like like you've said uh and, and believe in this um the other two guys, I'll, I'll admit, are a lot more intelligent. They work in different things to us. And I think me and Paul were – I'm not really sure, actually. I know Paul's the, Paul's the fan. I'm, if I'm honest, I don't know what I do. Uh, but I'm here. I'm part of the party. Same as me, mate. Same I'm as me. I'm happy to be here, uh, you know. Um, so, so, you know I just so turn podcast from time to time. <laughs> I'd say the four, the four of us, even though I'm fully involved, so I, you know, I'm the founder, I'm the kind of like the, the operations guy, but we – there's four of us that were here from the beginning. So we're all founders, really. We're all co-founders, but we're also trustees that sit on the board, board of directors for the charity. So we're in charge of all the decisions that get made. Um, and like all four, all four of us have a, a crucial part. Simon does so much. It's unbelievable. He's very modest. But, you know, he. The, I, I won't go into, into it too much because I don't know if I'm allowed to, but the amount of money and connections and networking that side does on the side, without it, it doesn't like tell people, it doesn't go... Oh, right, I've got this lead. I've got this. I've got this coming up. This coming up. He's just like, guys, I've got. I just got this. I just got that. I just got this building. I just got all this money. It's like, oh, nice one. And, and then he leaves. He shuts it there. 
And he's like, mate, that's not like something you just, it's not, it's not a passing comment. You've just bought in a quarter of a million pound, mate. Don't do <laughs> you know, so the guy's amazing. So he, he brings in so much. And yeah. you guys, he brought us in reviews as well, you know, so. Well, don't talk him up too much, mate. I might have to start going to work on Monday. I think I had, I had charisma and uh, just I, I bring up the the handsome scale a little bit. Um, outside of that, fuck those. Don't look at me, mate. If you want me to fill in the gaps and go, this is what Max does. I've got no idea. <laughs> so, are you just a- an extra month on that calendar, <laughs> mate? Are you? Are you we, we can cut bits out if you're not allowed to. Are you allowed to talk about where you are and what you're doing there? Sorry. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Obviously, you know, I'm where I am, I'm in I'm in China, so my sort of status now is prisoner of war. I'm being treated very well. Um, I'm being fed and there has been no breaches of the Geneva Convention. Um Yeah. <laughs> That's no, it. I'm out here, um Yeah, I do you know the the three three eight cable stuff. Um I'm out here uh, for the Winter Olympics, so doing doing the cable side of things and and sort of running that in. Um, and now I'm just watching the Winter Olympics. It's real tough, you know. Oh right, yeah, yeah. I went, sorry when we when we first started talking about it, I thought you were just there to watch it. But I do remember seeing something you put up on socials. You you got a contract to do a job. I mean, this is completely off topic from what we we're talking about before. But yeah, break it down, mate. If you got a business to plug. Uh no no I'm subcontracted I'm I'm working for an American American NBC I'm working for NBC um they they love the Winter Olympics. Uh, they're really good. You know, it's not like you know, the UK and Australia. I think they they feel they share the same taxi, you know, to the events. There's only two of us here between us, but um, yeah, I'm here for NBC. I come back at the end of March, uh, and then I'll talk a lot more. But you know, if I say anything slightly negative, 100, this podcast will get cut right now. Wow, right, that's right. great. The will drop. <laughs> Just disappear. The Wi-Fi will drop. Yeah, really, 100. Gotcha. Yeah. So if you, if you hear explosions and flashbangs and the door comes in. Uh, well, I guess it's been good. Yeah. See you, mate. <laughs> How much? Yeah. I mean, I nice know, I know that's I know that's probably legit. Like, and, and someone pulled me up because I'm about to go down a rabbit hole. I, the, I made a joke when, before we started recording this one. I made a joke about uh, China being the new motherland. Um, and that, that aside, I mean, every country, every Western country listens in on people they need to be listening in on. That's a given. We just we just think it's just China because that's a good propaganda story. What's life like on the ground over there? Are the people happy? I haven't seen anyone, mate. Oh, at all? Look, I'm not allowed. When we do not see anyone, we I'm locked in my hotel. I'm escorted to work. I get COVID tested every day, and I have to check in and check out of the hotel to go out. I don't smoke. But to go out for a cigarette outside of my hotel, I go through airport security, get fully searched. And it, the irony is they won't let you take lighters out. So I don't know what the guys out there are doing. They've got sticks and stuff and they're like, but. Um, Interesting. Oh, they, this is all obviously just COVID regulations. Uh, no, it's communist regulations, if I'm honest, but. Mate, you're destroying my narrative. In my head, I was about to go down a big rabbit hole about how it's all just propaganda and China's a really nice country and they're, they're not anything to be worried about and you've just shot that entire theory out of the water. No, it's dog shit, mate. <laughs> uh, stay well away. Oh, that is going to get you cut off for sure. This will be – they'll have to put this in evidence. Like when was the last time anybody spoke to me? like, wow, <laughs> fuck. We sort of run our mouths a little bit on a podcast and that's about – that's about it. We better um, we better move the conversation away from China and back onto veteran retreats and mental health. So we'll be talking about missing veterans. Yeah, because yeah. we're doing a few things, and so we were looking at um, doing a couple of things with the app uh, and just with with Swiss Eight, which was uh, taking people on on a, on a case study of where they are at now. And I know this is super tough, but you, you have to get those people in those credible roles who were your ambassadors who go, well, fuck, if Mo's doing it or if this guy's doing it. So we get guys with that instructor credibility that go, well, if he's doing it, right, I'm going to buy into this. Um, we're sort of going at taking people down the, let's find out where they're at now so we can build them into what they need and where they got to go. So doing some personality tests, the big five, couple of these sort of things we're sort of building into to find out 
really where they're at. It'd be interesting to see when a guy's – and I suppose someone coming to Swiss 8 isn't generally full noise about to go. It's not at the acute mental health stage. Where mm. I mean, sometimes they are. They come in, like the, the, our close mates come in and we're like, boys, you know, this is where you got to go. We can't handle – we're not counsellors. We can't do it. We don't have the systems to cope with ourselves if you hang yourself. Um, so we try to, like you say, signpost them to other places. Um, but part of the proactive models, we're like, hey, let's get these guys to figure out where they are at now. Who are you actually? Let's strip back the military and all the inculcation of your training. Some of it's really good. A lot of it's really good, Like, right? But let's find out where, where, what your goals are, what you're doing, and, and that sort of stuff. Is there, is there some things in there that you guys are doing? I had a look through your website. You've got some amazing tools on there. Do people sort of re- resonate with that? It's quite difficult because we're not, we haven't got um, any sort of like statistic sort of anything set up at the moment because we're just so, we're so small in the sense that, you know, the other three have got uh, full-time jobs. I'm full-time into the charity uh, as a voluntarily. I don't earn a wage from it at at the moment. Um, I've got preparations for this world record run coming up. So it's, you know, we're still learning. We're still trying to get our feet onto um, into the charity world and try and understand how everything works. So we haven't really had a lot of feedback, a lot, or even tried to try try and find out anything just yet. Um, but speaking about the app, Swiss Eight app, um, we have pushed it out to a few people. We've asked them what they feel about it, and, you know, and we, it's, we've had great, we had positive feedback. But again, you know, these are people who are in a fairly decent state of mind. They just enjoy the app. They enjoy learning something new. But I, I think that's that's all part of the process. That's all part, you know, getting getting the people before they even have a um, a dip in life. You know, giving them put, putting the awareness and, and the understanding that there are things that they should be doing to strengthen their, their mindset and their wellness um, on a daily basis before. You know, or, or so at least give them the, the understanding that when things that do go wrong, they kind of know. Okay, well, I am eating crap. I'm not getting out of the house as much as I should be. Uh, you know, I'm not being as mindful with everything as I, as I should be. That you know, I'm not journaling. I'm not whatever it may be. Um, and they're like, oh, okay. So, but when I was feeling good, and when I was doing the Swiss Eight app, and I was learning about my discipline and and my, my, my sleep routine that I was feeling good and now I'm not doing it, I'm feeling crap. So they, they can go straight back into that again. Yeah, mate. I mean, that's what you said. That's the, the exact model we we wanted was because, uh, well, to give you context, all, all the boys that we lost, all the mates that we lost to suicide um, left the military in a fairly decent state. It was it was the transition out and then life afterwards that caused them dramas. Um, the majority, well, I, I would go as far as to say all the mates of mine that died uh, at home Mate had had minor PTSD, but but that wasn't their core problem. Their core problems came came later, and it was it was just separation for the boys. That's why we picked a model that was like, let's get this tool to them as soon as possible before they get out and and learn some skills. But I think the benefit of the the retreat model is it works for both. It works for people who have been out for a bit and they they just want to have a reset and they want to they want to improve where they're at. But it also works acutely for people who have uh, well acute problems like. They've got to deal with trauma and they're having problems right now that's going to get pretty dark. Like getting them, trying to treat someone in a military environment definitely doesn't work. Trying to treat someone in a in a clinician's office in the city in London, it's going to take some time. Might work, might not. Pulling them out of their life completely, putting them in, I don't know what your location is. We can break that down later. But putting them in a retreat location with people, like-minded people, mate, that is designed for all veterans. I mean, is that is who's your core target demographic? Is it, is it the lads that have got the most head noise? I I don't think so. I think naturally we're we're drawn to the, to them because that's the people we want to help the most. Like you know, fuck this guy's in in a crap place. Let's, let's help him as much as we can. But you know, we're, we're going to be for people who are still serving and veterans. And like you say, the veterans are probably the guys have got the most problems, and that will, that's who we'll probably see the most of. But we also want to attract people in the armed forces that. You know, before they even, you know, just to get them into the retreat and let, you know, and then, then they can be ambassadors. They can go back to their regiments or units, battalions, whatever it may be, and say, oh, I've just done seven days in this amazing retreat and we like this, 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 this. You know, and if they're, if they're someone with a bit of confidence, they'll be spreading that 
uh, that wisdom with all their friends. Here's, if I can add on that as well. Yeah. Like, like you, you, like you guys said, the guys were really serious dramas, like for someone to help them, that's, that's 10, 20 years of studying. And, you know, these, these experts, and sometimes it still won't get sorted with the greatest respects to all of us. We're not fucking doctors and we're not going to be. So, you know, where we're going to have an effect is having a rapport with the lads, which we all do. We're all now, you know, drinking through camera and, and having a talk and getting it, getting it out. Um, that's, that's what's going to attract the guys. And then even if you signpost people from there, for me, when I had a few dramas, the biggest step was going to the doctors. I walked into the doctors. I didn't like the look of the doctor and the way he approached it. When I spoke to him, I walked straight out that fucking door. I speak to you guys, you guys bring me on and we talk about stuff a little bit more. And then you're like, look, you know, look, we, I've spoke to this guy before. He's quite good. Go and speak to this doctor. Even that helps. Um, but as Paul said, the real where we're going to have real effect here is avoidance. Like, don't get to that level. When you leave, I'm not saying you have PTSD, but you will have, uh, what do they call it? Um, adjustment disorder. Mm. Like, you know, like you're adjusting to, you know, here's the path there. And then you might find that the PTSD doesn't catch you or it doesn't come out, you know, as, as strong as it would do than when you came out, did what I did. Grew a beard, grew long hair, drunk too what much, are you, what are you fucked off his, didn't have any about? discipline. Uh, no, you know, and then, but then found yourself in a bit of a problem. You're like, well, of course, I've treated myself like shit for the last year. Of course, things are going to start coming out now. Um, no, I absolutely agree, mate. And it's, it's, it's again, uh, it's a reoccurring pattern that we see from guys from all different countries, never met each other, leave the military. What do you do? You grow a beard and you grow long hair and you stop waking up in the morning because you don't care because you've got nothing to prove anymore and that's when the wheels fall off now just to clarify I've, I've, I've been through that phase <laughs> and then I've clean, cleaned it up and now I'm in a phase where I just like being a hippie so I'm going to do it again <laughs> he cries a little bit at night time but we give him a cuddle and then it's alright you know what I mean like... no honestly mate I just Next, you need to step in now it's happening right in front of you <laughs> Yeah, it's all that you can't see the forest for the trees, can you? You know what I mean? <laughs> um, I, I look. So, have you guys got a patron for for the charity, or do you guys do patrons in England? That that like the big hitter names that come in and because um, I was like, fuck yeah, Prince Harry would be, but then he's gone off and fucked off with Markle, and everyone hates him now, or they don't. What's the what's the <laughs> what's the flavor? So we have we have um, patrons and ambassadors. I'm sure that are similar to you. Um, and it's something that we've spoken a lot about. But again, we're, we're just we're just unsure as to who we want on board right now, um, and we, we want to do it properly. We've just got so much going on that we want to. You know, I think after the run, you know, I'm about to just I'm about to run around you know the UK and talk to loads of people and get loads of you know make lots of noise about the charity. And we're hoping that lots of people hear about the charity after this. So, you know, hopefully from there we can start approaching people in um, high up positions or positions of power that can bring more attention to our charity. Uh, but right now we're just having a little think about the sort of people we even want. Who would be? Who would do you have a like a top five? You'd be like, fuck yeah, the Queen. Nah, nah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure the Queen. Yes, she is. But she, she'd be amazing. Who's the who's the, the issue? Is you want to still be a, a attractive, attractive to the blokes, right? Like exactly. You start getting in like James Bond, like and you know a dog with two dicks. Like you, what you want is a bloke who's seen adversity, uh, you know, and and has gone through it and is and is now a role model to what you want to be. Like I'm never going to be Tom Hardy, but you know this guy's gone through it and look at him. He's banging out the the marathon still, or you know he's got no fucking legs and he's and he's doing this and it's like that's a role model. Uh, looking left and right as opposed to, you know, the, the, the big guys that you would attract. As much as they will, you know, a post on their Instagram is going to do us wonders, but is it going to be any – is he really going to be able to talk to the guys? Probably not. Mate, I absolutely agree with you. We, I mean, now we have a patron. It's um, Phil Thompson. I mean, the only reason he, – he served overseas with us. He was a digger in the army, and then he got out, and, and we did other things, and he became a politician. Perfect candidate because he, he, he walks the walk, talks the talk. But when we get hit up all the time from people going, oh, you need to get um, politicians, generals, you need to get these big names, get celebrities on there as ambassadors and patrons so that they can go and link you in. I'm like, 
they know nothing about what we're what we're kind of the game we're in. And I always look at it and go, in, instead of going out and grabbing a celebrity just because they're a celebrity and, and they've got nothing between their ears, why don't we become the patrons ourselves? Like what you're doing, Paul. Like, I mean, we had an ambition to do this walk around Australia. And I think that's the first thing that we kind of discussed when we got to Thailand and met Sai. He's like, I've got a mate at home that's about to run around England. And, I, and that's straight away, I was like, well, we had like a bunch of dudes that were going to do a relay around the country. And that was going to be pretty easy. We're going to do a couple of Ks a day. This dude's going to run around England by himself. So, and, and the, actually the, the end of that conversation was we actually started looking at going, hey, we're going to have to fly over because I think you were going to do it last year or the year before and we're going to fl- try and fly over and um, catch you at the start or the end. But obviously life got in the way and, and it never happened. Where's it up to now, this run? Um, so we're less than three weeks away now. The so first of March. So just to clarify, it's not just England. So this is a new, this is a new. Oh, world sorry, record. sorry, it's, sorry. It's, it's England, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, the Isle of Wight, and the Isle of Man. So it's covering over three thousand miles. So this is one hundred and ninety-one marathons in two hundred and eighteen days. So it's uh, you know, it's about twenty-eight miles a day. I mean, there are rest days, but. The whole point, it's going to be a real like Forrest Gump sort of style. I'm running from town to town. I've been on the, I've been non-stop media. Um, Sai's been helping out with that. Non-stop media, film crews, um, speaking to running clubs, group, um, military establishments all around the UK, try, trying to get people to join me as I come through their town uh, and just try and get as many people shouting and, and raising um, funds and noise about Head Up as I go around. So we've got, we've got a good feeling that this is going to go well. Hopefully, you know, we've got, quite a lot of um, national TV that are going to get involved in this. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a, I've got to do it now. I've, I've made so much noise. And I've, I've spoke about it to, to so many people and outlets that I've got to run 191 marathons in 218 days. Shit bust. Oh, I'm mate. trying to do the fucking math. I'm just... <laughs> mate, I've had, too many, I've had too many Venus. 192 mar- <laughs> marathons in 218 days. Yeah, 191 marathons, 218 days. You can fucking have it, That includes rest days as well, so. Mate, you are doing it. You are, instead of going out chasing ambassadors, like if you didn't have your own charity and you just did this run, come back, you'd be be fine to be ringing off the hook going, do you want to be an ambassador for us? So you're actually going out and creating an ambassador out of yourself. I love it, mate. It's gold. You've got to finish, bro. You're absolutely right. You've got to finish it. You've got to... You've got to do it now. I was, you know, I was saying to Sai the other day, because we've got a start point, the 1st of March, he was like, let's get it all singing, all dancing, we'll have everyone there, and a big big circus and whatnot. And I was like, mate, don't do that, because everyone will be there, and I'll run 200 metres, trip over, sprain my ankle, and just be hobbling hobbling away. So, but uh, What's your- it's going to be good. And, and like, like you said earlier about, um, have we got ambassadors, have we got patrons, have we got this, this, this? And I'm like, no, not yet. And I'm not. I'm not too fussed because I, I'm fairly certain. Certain after after this run, people are gonna you know find out more about us, find out who we are, um, our passion, um, the cause that we're, what we're what I'm running for. And we almost won't have to go to people. You know, I'm hoping mm. that people are gonna come to us and go. You know, we want to be part of this. And it's already happening. And it's, the run hasn't even started. Mate, absolutely, it's gonna happen. I mean. You, was it you, mate, telling us a story about the bloke that ran around the country with a fridge and he just didn't tell anyone? And by the end of it, he had half the country's media following him. Or was that the story I just made? No, up? but I'll take credit for it. That's a pretty cool <laughs> no, story. No, wasn't it a log? Was it a log? <laughs> no, that was that was old mate, the big Jack bloke that swam around the UK with a log. There's a bloke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's a freak, obviously, but. Um, there was People a, are going to be yeah. telling the same stories about you, mate. Like, do you remember that bloke that did a marathon? Don't you? And like, yeah, he's a fucking freak. That bloke. I can't believe it. So, hang on. <laughs> so, what's your What's your marathon time? Are, are we talking like you're not you're doing you're not doing on pace world record? Like you, you're gonna you're gonna have to semi take it medium pace, right? Yeah, I mean, like all these statistics sound great. You're like bloody hell. You know, 191 marathons. You know. But the whole the, the whole point to this isn't about me going off and doing a challenge and breaking records. It just it, that just seemed that just happened uh, as a, a collective of what I'm trying to do. The whole point is to go from town to town to town, um, getting people to fundraise and to be involved and, and create awareness about the charity and the the, the, the marathons and the the front um, the world record that all just comes out of it. But uh, but it's going to be a real slow pace. You're talking like t- uh, thirty miles in in like eight hours, 
You know, the whole mm-hmm. point is if, if people can, if, if people want to come and walk a mile with me, they can walk a mile with me and then I'll just, and then I'll jog off. If people want to jog a, mile, um, a few miles with me, they can jog a few miles. I won't be going any faster than, than like 10, 11 minute mile paces. So it's really nice and slow. And it's just, it's just to incorporate as many people as possible. Mm. I don't know. What's, what's 10, what's that in Ks an hour? I have no I'm, idea. I'm no only retired. I can't but, do math. But mate, man. I mean, I, I it's about sixteen minutes. That's still too fast. Yeah, you need to slow it down a bit. Um, but no, mate, you're right. And <laughs> and if if we want to be brutally honest, I mean, the the objective of this is as, as much exposure as possible, right, for the organisation. That's that's it's going to happen. And when it comes to doing endurance events. I mean, that's that's what everyone's after. You need to go like, you need to be able to tell a story so that the media gives a shit. And when the media comes and they, they put you all over the papers and all over the news, then, you, then you've got the story and you, you get exposure. Most people try and break world records or, or do cracking paces because they don't have any other story. But your organisation and yourself, you've, you've already got the story, mate. You could do it at a, at a snail's pace and you'd still be good to go. The cameras would still come out. So the point of that was yeah, go, mean, slow, I, mate, I, go slow, mate, go slow. And then bang it on at the finish line. Head Go up. slow. <laughs> it's got to be sustainable. You know, the, the whole point is I've got to make it to the end. It doesn't matter how I make it to the end. I've just got to make it to the end. I could walk the whole... The whole I, as long as I say running now, it sounds great. But, you know, if, if I end up spraining my ankle halfway through and I, I start walking the rest of it, it doesn't matter as long as I get from A to B. Um, but do you know what? My body, I, I can't even comprehend how bad I'm going to feel. You know, like, I, I say a run as well. Don't Because I'm, I'm not coming home. Once I leave on the 1st of March, that's it. I don't come home until the 4th of October. Um, mm. And I've got a 10, 10 kilogram bag on my back. So and I'm wearing boots. So I'm doing a 10 kilogram hey, well, boot I, run. Mate, you didn't, add, you didn't uh, add any of this stuff in there, mate. What boots are you wearing? <laughs> oh, they're really good ones. Do you have on cloud over in Australia? On on trainers, yeah, I wore some, and then then I was like a buck ten, and they're like, no, 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 they're for fifty kilo um, runners, and I was like, nah, I can wear them, and I'll be fast too. Just got shin splints and fuck myself, mate. So, they they do a boot version of trainers, so they're really good. Uh, so yeah, I'm wearing them. So I say, I say boots. They are they are ankle high, but they are. Um, Got to be lightweight. And- There's got to be a sponsor in that one, surely. Mm. Well, yeah. The thing is, I had I had a trainer sponsor. <laughs> Mo's um, like, I've got, I've got, I've got, I've already off. got three, but I haven't told him yet. Yeah, yeah. But I, I chinned them off because I was like, I don't want to be able to have to wear someone's trainers if I'm doing this. I want to wear what I want to wear. What if I get like 100 miles in and go, no, these are just ain't for me. I need to change them. And I've got this contract. Then it buggers mm. the whole thing. So I've, I've completely scrapped all sponsorship and I'm just going to gonna freestyle it on my own. I think that's the best way to do it. Mate, I don't know what the record was as far as going, how, how you went chasing any sponsors, but it is tough when you're unknown. Come ask them again at the end of this run and they'll be lining up to throw free boots at you. And then you'd be like, no, I don't I'm actually like your boots. Ever doing yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm never going to run again. That's probably the answer. I'll take the boots. I'll take the boots. But, yeah. Yeah. But, no, I mean, it's, it's you got to – we're a charity, you're a charity, but we have to play like we are a, a big company. I mean, that was one of our things we had a, a discussion about before we kicked off. We're like, we need to pretend we're Red Bull. We need to make people – I mean, I don't like the product anymore, um, but we need to make people subconsciously gravitate to – because that's when sponsors want to come and that's when they want to throw money and, f- and throw free stuff. And too many, I think too many charitable organisations out there fail because they're like, we have to be so squeaky, like n- nothing about um, capitalism, nothing about profit. It's like you want the free stuff. You, you, need, to, you need to meet them in the middle and, and, and they want exposure and that's all they really want and you're about to get a lot, mate. So I think you'll have a few sponsors lining up. Thanks, man. And like, you know, another good thing about having a sponsor, you know, if it's a big company like Red Bull or whoever it may be, they've got um, an audience of millions, you know, and if they're going to put a picture up with you and uh, you know, just give an account or just even a charity name or just your name, people are going to start Googling it and find out a bit more. So sponsorship definitely has a, a great um, place. But like you say, I think it will come. I think everything will just attraction. Once this run gets going and people can see that I'm serious, because at the moment people are still a bit like, okay, it's just a guy saying he's going to do something, which is mm. exactly the sort of opinion I'd have. But once it starts happening and a few days in or several days in, people will see and gravitate to it. 
I think I think the other benefit you've got is if if you're desperate, you're like say hypothetically you needed a bunch of sponsors before you could step off, you end up getting desperate and you just settle for brands that don't really align with you. Whereas when you you step off, get a bunch of attention, you're going to be able to pick and choose, and you'll be able to really get the brands that actually align with you. Like we were lucky, man. Like um, we we obviously don't have massive funding partners, but we've got a couple of brands that align with our demographic and KTM is one of them like KTM Motorbikes we took a group of guys to the Fink last year managed to run into a bunch of people from KTM had a bunch of conversations and now, we, now we're kind of joined at the hip with KTM Australia and that I mean they, they don't give they haven't given us any money they might in the future that'd be fantastic but they do a bunch of other stuff and it's just their demographic is our demographic and it's like we don't have to worry about KTM's messaging changing our direction because they just want veterans blokes like knock around dudes to improve their mental health and it works and they're all like you said they also push it out to about a million more people than we could so it's also good who's K- who's ktm oh how oh, dare oh, you ktm funny. motorbikes you don't have i think they're austrian <laughs> husk huskvana uh, <laughs> they own huskvana sorry sorry guys <laughs> is, no no, no dirt bike riding is not not a big sport in the uk Maybe not. They've got we've got KTM in the UK, yeah. They do sort of like the trail bikes, right? The crosses yeah, yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. They're pretty they're pretty big. Yeah, they're a big deal. They're nice bikes. Oh well fuck that same bite off. Oh, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's nothing but concrete around there. Uh, that's right, we'll cut that bit out, Paul. If you haven't heard of them, if you haven't heard of them, you definitely haven't heard of any of our other partners. <laughs> John O's fish and chip shop. No, you haven't heard of it? So what's the lead up for you now moving into it? And I know the physicality and I know the, the pride is going to get you the, the whole way. Like what's the recovery side of it that you, you're doing and, and the lead up training? And is there a place that people can come and follow you while you do your training? Can they take can they, the website, your socials? How can people emulate what you're doing? Uh, and is it like a challenge system where, hey, look, I'm running 42Ks a day. Maybe you just do 5Ks every day for, you know. Sorry, yeah, I've, I have so a habit of not finishing questions. <laughs> yeah, there's about 10 in there. But, um, <laughs> I'll try and answer them. So, <laughs> so training, um, training-wise uh, and like recovery and just making sure that I'm sustainable for this run. I've, I've actually been training with one of Britain's Britain's best female ultra marathon runners. She runs for Great Britain professionally. She's broken world records everywhere. So I've been training training with her for the last 12 months. So I feel uh, like I've been in a good position um, building up to it. But the run itself, um, it's it's on a 21-day cycle. So I run for six, seventh day I rest. And then on the 21st day, I rest for three days. So I do have, you know, a bit of sustainability rest-wise in there. Uh, as for people being able to find out a bit more about it on our charity website, there's a page dedicated to the run, the five thousand. It says Paul's five thousand mile run. Uh, it's a whole page, and it's got all sorts of stuff you can download. You can download posters, you can download information brochures, you can download, or, or just look at um, just given pages. But there's also a, a guide which says places and dates, so everyone can see exactly where I'm going to be. Also, it's also got the miles per day on there as well, so you can see where I'm going to be how far I'm going and what date it is. But I've also recently, um, yesterday, in fact, just got in touch with a tracking company. So I'm going to be tracked the whole way. So there's going to be a link that you can live track every 15 minutes. You can see where I'm going to be. Um, but then for Fuck, people, I don't know about that, mate. I'll be throwing that thing in the fucking river. <laughs> <laughs> like jumping. Someone give me, <laughs> someone give me a lift. Fuck it. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. Yeah. I might be turning it off every now and then. <laughs> um, but yeah, people. We're already asking people to fundraise and just to do what they can. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's a great idea to come up with a fund. You know, people, I'm doing uh, 42 kilometers. Why don't you do 4.2? But we just haven't got that fundraising side to us, unfortunately, at the moment. I mean, unless we just push it out onto our social medias. Mate, my my recommendation would be don't overcook the egg. Just do what you're doing already and someone, because you got, you got a bit of time when you're on the road, some PR company is going to come to you 10Ks up the road and they're going to be like, hey, we've got this idea. We can we can multiply your efforts. We're going to do this challenge. Other people will come. Don't don't get distracted from training. It's, it's too close to kick off, mate. Yeah, I agree. So how many weeks out? Oh, sorry. sorry, you're going to come and join me. Sorry, what was that? 
say so Sai's going to come and join me at a certain bit, aren't you, Sai? Well, no, he's not getting out of fucking China. Away. He's done, mate. That's the last we'll see him. Someone's going to be welding him into his fucking apartment yeah. block. No, after these two cunts have done what they've done, I'm fucking here forever. <laughs> <laughs> but have you been have you been following the same training program, Mo? Yeah, as you can see from my slender physique, I'm a top peak running performance now. Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they call me the 17 stone Mo Farah. Uh, actually, back in the UK. <laughs> nah, yeah, the plan is we've we've all because Paul's been such a dick and done something so epic. Uh, like the other guys are running the, the a part of the charity or the, the trustees. We've got the other two guys who are doing um, who are rowing the Atlantic. So a pretty big thing. Uh, it's going to be heavily featured in the media as well. Um, to sort of stitch me up, really, to do something, a, a decent fundraiser. So we're all actually training to a degree. Nothing to, the, to what Paul's doing. Paul's training with a, a, a world record, uh, forgive me, Paul, I don't know her name, world record breaking ultramarathon runner. So you go on the guy Strava, man, he just makes you want to, you know, that's a real cause of suicide. He's looking at Paul Strava, he's <laughs> shit about yourself. But um, he's been killing it, but we're all starting to slowly ramp it up. The, the thing is to time it. I think I'm going to do my fundraiser. Um, next summer, Paul finishes running October. I'll start mine April, June, May, between April and June. Then the boys after that, Paul, where when are they after that? Uh, they're, are they the beginning of uh, beginning of twenty twenty three? December, so December twenty. Yes, December twenty three. They're, they're then rowing the Atlantic, so we'll hopefully spread it out for maximum exposure and, and all that all that marketing strategy stuff. Mate, you're putting us to shame, boys. We are going to have to pull our finger out and start doing some endurance events. Fuck it. i tell you what we could to, do. Yeah. Epiphany. Say, hypothetically, three years from now when we're fit enough to start running marathons, Middle East has calmed down. You blokes could leave from London. We could leave from Sydney. We could meet in Afghan for a reunion. Oh, that's awesome. What a, what sure. a great RV. Well, we, we yeah. could... And we I'll, could... I'll, wave my, I'll wave my Swiss 8 T-shirt from my fucking Chinese prison cell. <laughs> Well, China will probably be running Afghan by then, mate. So, oh, this podcast is not going to be allowed anywhere. Oh, well. Oh, mate. <laughs> it was fun. It was fun. I'll catch a plane. I'll catch a plane there, mate, and catch up with you. How do we get from Australia across the, the big oh, no, the reason The reason I brought that up, a mate of mine works for Google and he's been trying to um, get us motivated to do – he watched uh, Ewan McGregor's show, was it Long Way Up, the last one, where they rode electric bikes from the bottom of Chile up to, up to America. And he's like, mate, we have to do a – because he spent a lot of time in London. He's like, we've got to do an electric bike ride from Sydney to London. I'm like, there's a few problems there, mate. A, we're an island. B, I'm pretty sure the Middle East and Southeast Asia don't have <laughs> bloody electric charging stations. But anyway, he, he's motivated and he wants to put something together, some kind of London to Sydney – connection endurance event probably involving vehicles because i'm i'm not really up for running through a lot of those countries but something to think about i'll plant the seed we'll give it a five-year roadmap we'll something will happen get to. something yeah. will come from this yeah I like, I like the idea but yeah there's a lot of logistical uh red tape we're gonna have to go through first i think no you just go you and just go mate build the plane <laughs> just fly it, mate. Wing, wing it. it's the best way to do it if you're going to wing it through anywhere, the Middle East is probably the place to wing it. <laughs> but you guys have been doing a great we're, job. With the we're all living proof. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. How, how old did you say he was? He's 17. He'll be all right. We taught him. He, he knows how to use a gun, right? <laughs> no, it'll be fine. What about when he gets home? Well, he can just discharge. Yeah, but what do you do? No, nah, fuck all. He'll be right. <laughs> That was the summary of the entire. I saw your plates when we were we were sitting on security in in Iraq, and we were sitting like marshmallow men, flat jackets, shoulder pads, neck guards, you know. Uh, and our, our chest plates are proper chest plates. Let's not come into yours are like the size. It's like the size of a ration tin, isn't it? Like six inches. It's like two hands next to each other. You'd have uh, to be a sniper just to hit the cunt. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you, the, the, those old, like, pure silver spoons would probably be better protection, I reckon. Mate, and then uh, we saw... It's not good. It's not good. And mate, they probably way more than yours as well, which is the weird thing. Absolutely. And then they used to show us videos, right? So... They, they, our inoculation training was watching British soldiers driving in Range Rovers, <laughs> in fucking Range Rovers through Afghan, and just like, and what happened to all of them? Like, they all fucking died, mate. 
And then we're like, oh, what's going to happen to us? Like, oh, no, 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 your vehicles are bomb-proof. V-plate holes, no one's ever died in one. You'll be fine. I'm like, yeah, cool, fuck. The Brits are like, mate, that's, we'll- that's like you touched on earlier about just let the peasants roll through. Like, the way it works in Britain is like, fucking, we were, rolled, like you said, rolling around. They were called snatch Land Rovers and, like, you know, kids were throwing stones and it was going through two sides and blokes were getting their heads sore, let alone an IED. And then, like, when you've lost, like, you know, and it's sad, you know, and you know, people have lost lost people from this, you know, lost relatives and whatnot. Then it finally gets looked at. But, like, it's like a comedy sketch. Like, this this British dickhead with a fucking handlebar moustache down to there, and he's, like, looking across at you guys, and they're like, and you just said it so blatantly. He's like, "What? So what's that there?" And it's like, "Well, V-shaped hole. It's bomb-proof for this and that." And they're like, "Fucking hell!" <laughs> the convicts you know, have figured it out, mate. Uh, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, we'll just get one of them. Like, well, yeah, do you not fucking see that, <laughs> <laughs> mate? It comes down to priorities, and at, at, at the end of the day, and this ties it back to the run you're about to go on. The noisier you are, the more politicians pay attention and politicians prioritise their give-a-fuck factor and they, they, they put money in the area that they need the most votes. And if more, the more veterans you get, and I, I think this is, again, this, I think this is why Australians have, have got it so good because they're so whingy. It's like the more noise you make, the more politicians have to care, the more money they throw at it to try and shut you up. And that's unfortunately the cycle of how it works. So running around the country and getting all the TV cameras looking at you is the noisy way to go. But it's also positive. So, mate, I think you're doing the right thing. Just get those get those yeah, politicians thanks. to start cutting checks. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And like you say, it's whatever the polit- – if, if the politicians are going to look bad or there's, a, there's an opportunity for them to jump on, which is going to help them look good, that's what they'll take. So like you say, the run's a positive run. It's going to create a lot of attention. A lot of people want to get involved. Um, and also, you know, I'm not going to be completely quiet if the, if the media asks me what my views and opinions on the current status of veterans and and what's how they're being treated and people in the military. I'll tell them that it's substandard. It's not right. You know, things are not going right. And we've we've got the answer. We've got the plan. And hopefully, people will take atten- pay attention that way. Mate, I'm looking forward to it. What date do you finish? Is there any chance of us getting over there for the finish line? Well. If it all goes to plan, 4th of October. So 1st of March to 4th of October. So how does, how, where, Where's Boris's stance on vaccines? Don't answer that. We'll have to cut that video, actually. I'm not allowed to talk about that at the moment. Um, guys, if, logistically, if you need to stay in London, there's a place in London for you. Like, you guys can get over. Um, I, think, I think we're okay obviously. With, with COVID. I think, like, yeah. I think, I think they've kind of gone, or yeah, everyone's kind it. of had well, it or getting it. Yeah, uh, and they, essentially, Boris has just like, people Boris has just America been caught then. partying through lockdown. Yeah, but Boris has just been caught partying through lockdown, and let, he's going to be in all COVID off now just to get himself back in. That's essentially let, it. let Boris either, do Boris. Boris has got want, it sorted, mate. I'm not going to be prime minister next week. Yeah, so it's two things going to happen: Boris will stay prime minister of no COVID restrictions, or Boris will be in our retreat looking to mental health because he's he's in the job centre. <laughs> He's got, he's got yeah, adjustment good. disorder. It's like, I was running the country one day, <laughs> I got on the piss, and now I'm going like, welcome to a digger or a squatty's life, mate. Good on you. But in all seriousness, boys. I didn't even want to go to that party. In all seriousness, boys, if if borders are open to the point where we can get in, we'll come, we're, we're coming over. I'm in. Hmm. And that, that, yeah, that kind of... Bring your flag with you, mate, no and problem. Then, Fuck yeah, that'd be sick. Yeah, and mate, bring your flag with you, do the last 10 miles. Pardon? <laughs> <laughs> ten, ten, meters, ten meters, ten meters. No, no, we're in, mate. We'll, we'll do miles, whatever they are. We'll do miles. But no, mate. Mex- like, like you were saying before, like you, to keep yourself accountable. The number one, the, the the best way to be accountable to something that you don't really want to do or something that's going to be hard is tell your mates you're going to do it, and then you have to do it, right? So we'll go on record, <laughs> mate. We are this, going. Yeah. We are going to the UK in right October. Up. Let's go. Let me out of this game, Marilyn. Let me right. in, Boris, and we're good. <laughs> Good on you, lads. Hey, look, uh, let's just go. I, I, we'll get some details so we can spruit this, mate. What you boys have done and what you guys do, uh, this is something that we've always been behind every step of the way, and it's the lived experience, guys. Um, where can we find your stuff, Paul? And yeah, <laughs> Good finish yeah, to the so question. We, we've got... Um, 
We're called, we're called Head Up Charity. So if you Google Head Up Charity, stuff should come up. Social media is Head Up Charity. Should, you know, everything should come up there. And then my personal run and everything is all linked into that. But if you go to our website, which is head-up.org.uk, you can find everything on there. Just have a little look through, see what we're up to, download the brochures. There's a great promo videos of us on there talking about what we're going to be doing. You can, Again, there's a page dedicated to the run if you want to find out a bit more about that. Mate, uh, we're gonna we're gonna pump this up. This is gonna be phenomenal. Half my family still lives in England, so they're gonna they'll probably get around you, and uh, and they'll be the weird ones waving things, and hopefully with their shirts. Yeah, that's gonna come across wrong. But <laughs> if if or uh, yeah, thanks lads for coming on, and uh, mate uh, Mo, good luck getting out of fucking China. <laughs> we can't even come get you. Oh, thanks a lot, guys. Yeah. Appreciate you having us having us on. Legends. Yeah, good to catch up um, and speak soon, yeah? Cheers, mate. Cheers.